Hi, and welcome to the Inside Out Security Show. I'm your host, Cindy Ng, and joined by security practitioners Mike Buckby, Chris Kaiser, and Mike Thompson. I was captivated by a tweet that a computer science professor and author of The Master Algorithm, Pedro Domingos, wrote, Instead of unreadable privacy policies, every website should be clearly labeled with one of five privacy levels changeable with a click. Those five things he suggested are okay to make public, okay to share with third parties, click to customize privacy, data used for internal purposes only, and the fifth one is nothing recorded. And I'm wondering if you have a sixth privacy suggestion or you prefer another way to engage with privacy policies. This is Chris Kaiser here. I'm not sure I necessarily have a number six. What I would want to see is more, I mean, obviously it's a tweet. He kind of did this in a short format, but more clarity as exactly to what they're capturing and then what they intend to do with it and what, if they know, the third parties that they might share it with intend to do with it. Because in that sense, I feel like here's some data. If we're not going to do anything that makes me upset, it's very different from I'm going to take this, monetize it, potentially use it in abusive ways. I think more clarity on the what this ends up being used for is is the part that I'd want more of. This is Mike Thompson. So I don't know if there's a, a sixth level I would add, but maybe some more granularity within these settings. And then something that we've kind of discussed here before is how and where are you tracked? I, I'm already agreeing to give up some level of my privacy to interact with these services. But Facebook, for example, I may be more comfortable with them tracking interactions I have directly on their website as opposed to Facebook cookies tracking the fact that I'm browsing all these other websites through their the ads that they're serving. So I'd like some control over when and where my data is collected. This is Mike Buckby. I actually have a number six. And so as these numbers go up, it becomes you know less and less tracking. And so number five on the list was nothing recorded. I think number six is like actively puts in bad data about like, you know, it fakes your geolocation, it fakes your IP address, it makes it look like you're actually looking for pet supplies online instead of whatever website you're attending. That's a great number six because I'm slowly starting to hear a lot of people make that suggestion. So thanks, guys. If you're a regular listener and enjoy our show, if you can rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts, we'll send you a deck of our InfoSec cards that's based on the Cards Against Humanity card game. And your reviews will also help others find us. To learn more, please visit veronis.com forward slash review. We often talk about how change doesn't happen fast enough, but I think we're moving really as fast as we can. And right now, a lot of what advances the economy and the world is math and programming because essentially in some ways all companies are software businesses. But the bottom line is you can't optimize sentient beings. And the conversations we're having online, like the question about how we'd like our privacy policy displayed and the conversations we're having at conferences are vibrant and changes are happening. For instance, Mozilla, they're currently testing out a service called Firefox Monitor where Firefox users can input their email address and the service will run it by the site Have I Been Pawned database to see if the account was involved in a data breach. And I wanted to know, what are some things you like about this new service or perhaps you think it's not the right way to go? My first reaction to this is that I think it's a positive just because 
the idea of building it directly into your browser kind of puts it front and center for people. There are definitely people that I've come across who've never heard of HIBP. They've never really heard about data breaches. They have no idea what it's all about. The fact that you have this as an option in your browser means you first off have quicker access to it. You have a clear understanding of what the implications are of the data sets that have been compromised. I just think in terms of raising awareness, it's a huge step forward. I mean, I think it's fantastic to have those types of notifications and have it integrated with your password manager so you can kind of on the fly respond to that and update your passwords. Reading this article prompted me to go check the website to see, okay, where where has my email been involved in breaches? Um, I, and I've checked this website before, but I, I don't check it every day. I don't check it every week. I don't check it every month. I don't even check it every six months. You know, I, I kind of uh, every once in a while I'll come across my plate or I, you know, I get a notification from some company I've done business with that my account's been compromised and I'll, I'll treat that kind of on an ad hoc basis. But just looking today, there's 12 different breaches that my primary email address has been involved in. And some of those I had no awareness of. So if I was able to kind of get a not real time, but near real time notification that I've been compromised and I could quickly address that all within my browser, you know, I, I think that would really help a lot of people, especially less technical people, you know, take better care of their private information and have good password management policies and, and really try and stay ahead of all these data breaches as much as possible. I, I guess that there's a thing to be negative about that is that it still puts a lot of onus on the individuals to try to deal with these things. And like Mike was just saying, like he's in 12 of these different uh, data breaches and a professional, incredibly competent and can deal with this. It's a large burden to put that on everyone in the world. <laughs> who have other things to do and worry about. Here's another scenario I think you guys might find interesting. So a security firm is being sued for failing to detect malware that caused a breach and a hacker stole over 100 million payment cards stored on its servers and they paid millions in settlement fees. And now because the insurance companies, they also had to pay fees, they're trying to recoup those costs back by suing the security firm for not detecting that an attacker had used a SQL injection attack to breach Heartland's systems. And Visa also did their own report and suggested it was the security firm's fault. And I know that this is a he said, she said, but what I found so interesting in this lawsuit is that it signals a few things. First, I think there's a perception that companies would rather pay a fine if there's a breach, uh, when in fact it's it's costly. And second, I think in general, the responsible course of action is that security companies need to be accurate about what they say they're able to do and ensure that they're able to execute on it. What were some key takeaways for you? I think it's weird. You know, like you said, it's a he said, she said thing. But even so, they're saying this is Trustwave's fault you didn't tell us all these bad things that we're doing were bad and or we didn't tell you the right thing about them. Like some some of the individual items that are brought up are things like shared credentials. You know, Heartland was sharing credentials and not every person who accessed the systems and the sensitive data was using, you know, a unique identifier. That's their terms. That means that, hey, anyone in support who needs to log in or whatever the account is, 
are all logging in with the same thing, so you can't tell who is who. And there needs to be a clear difference between auditing and working with a company and that company's actual internal processes. And that, that gap, I'm not sure, is Trustwave's fault so much as Heartland's. They went ahead and they actually certified them as PCA DSS compliant. Whether or not they did that, it depends on what the action would have been. You know, If they said, hey, you guys are not compliant, here's what you need to do, it depends on the timeline. Would they have fixed all of those holes in time? Would they have cleaned things up to the point where when the attack did occur, things were fixed? It, it, it's kind of like, if you say we're compliant, it doesn't necessarily make it so. There, there's, it's, I, I get the whole he said, she said point of it, but regardless, from, from what I'm seeing here, Heartland was responsible for the actual maintenance of the systems and, and making sure it was locked down properly. All that Trustway was, was responsible here for was saying yes or no, you actually did what you said you did. And it turns out I see I see fault on both sides. I do think it really depends on whether the, they would have taken action if you actually hit them with the fine and took away their compliance. I don't feel comfortable passing judgment on this without knowing what their contract and statement of work was, what they what their final output was, to what extent they were doing continuous monitoring versus a one-time assessment. And I, I think one, something that Trustway said was, you know, just because you're compliant doesn't mean you can't be breached in the future. You know, we are letting you know where you stand today, we are helping you keep controls in place. That does not mean those controls cannot be violated. It's not, uh, you're compliant, you are safe. Plenty of other companies who are, are PCI compliant and still deal with breaches. To me, this reads more as an insurance company trying to recoup their costs than any true designation of blame in this attack. It is interesting to me to think about like, what does conducting an audit really mean? Like, is it just a point in time? Is it the same as a report? about something? Is it something else? I mean, this is something we've all dealt with, I think. I guess, does that change things? That it's this formal audit for PCI DSS? Does that mean something different than if it was just like, oh yeah, we ran, you know, couple tools against this and came up with this list of things. Well, I think that's why people say that InfoSec is more compliance than real security. People often misunderstand that just because you're compliant doesn't mean that you can stop monitoring. It might be an education issue. I think a lot of this just goes to how horrible security is. I mean, horrible in the sense of like aching dread that no matter like how much you do and everything you that's in there, suddenly something comes by and blindsides you and it matters for nothing. Yeah, that's that's exactly why I found this article so interesting because, wow, security firms are trying to improve things and you would hope that an organization would have layers of security and then you get singled out. There are so many players and then this one company gets sued and it's, it's alarming. I also really liked that a CEO of an AI company Company publicly said that technology is too volatile to let law enforcement organizations use. And the key thing he said is that artificial intelligence algorithms powering facial recognition need massive amounts of data to function properly. And meanwhile, another CEO said that data governance is the answer. I think there's this misnomer that AI and algorithms and things, that that means impartiality. That that means like, oh, it's not going to have the same emotional, prejudicial thoughts that uh, we humans have, and this is going to be better in some ways. And I think a, a better mental model for it is as an accelerant for everything that is flawed in humanity. It's just, you know, processed a million times faster. That's where the big difference is in all of this lies. If you think of it as something that, oh, well, now we can inflict our prejudices a million times faster versus, oh, this is something that's going to work outside of the, the hangups of humanity. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some very well 
publicized cases and certain cases about machine learning and like facial recognition and stuff uh, with like cameras detecting certain faces worse than other faces based on inputs. So there's certainly human mistakes and errors can can influence this. You know, we say machine learning, but it's still built by man. So I, I think there's an interesting thing to consider that uh, maybe there's new ways that data can be abused and new privacy concerns about what data is being input and how it's processed and what's happening after the fact. I hope there's room for growth for analyzing, you know, what happens, as they say, in this black box where that data is being analyzed. But to Mike Buckby's point. I think there's also some some ethical concerns and technical concerns about the inputs themselves and, and how these things are built. So I don't know. It's a complicated question. I'm maybe not informed enough to, to really have a too secure of a say on it. But I don't think it's a, a coincidence that a lot of like kind of dystopian sci-fi centers on like the abuses of artificial intelligence and things like that. You know, there's a reason that a lot of people feel this leads down a dark path. And we have to be very careful as this field continues to expand. Uh, something that I think I mentioned on this before, because a lot of this gets, I think, brought up in the context of like crime. And we think of like, oh, I'm going to get mugged and stabbed on the street. And it's this very visceral sort of thing. And, you know, the pushback against that is that, well, there's lots of things that all of us do that are sort of contribute to the, the smooth running of society. That, you know, if you're at the intersection and you can clearly see there's no cars for six blocks in any direction and it's a red light and you cross, is that a crime of jaywalking in the same way that? It would be if you were stepping out in the middle of traffic and, you know, disrupting things and trying to get hit by a car. Like humans, we know that's very different. But to the system that's tracking everyone, that's just another automatic ticket. And, you know, you're a bad person and you've done all these things. So the statistic I go back to is the one about um, they found like in Boston or something that like 80, 90 percent of the houses and all the buildings that are there are illegal if you judge them by the modern day zoning restrictions, because, you know, they're too close or they're too dense or they're too high or they're too, you know, whatever it is. But, and I feel like that's the same thing that we wouldn't look at those and go, oh, this is a horrible thing. This is a horrible situation. But our sense of what the laws are about this stuff has really changed. To me, that's frightening. So two things I'm still hung up on your start about being worried about mugged. Do you walk around thinking that way? I don't. I think that's the argument. I mean, the argument for this is, well, if you were on the street and, you know, had a violent crime happen to you, wouldn't it be great if one, that was recorded and, you know, two, instantly throughout the city or throughout the country, anytime that person's face came onto a camera, you'd know, the police would know exactly who it was and would snatch them up. That would mean that their database would need to be filled with pretty much everyone on earth and that it need to be accurate. Another thing that just sort of crossed my mind is that we talk about having security and privacy being on the onus of an individual. I'm also thinking about, okay, if an algorithm happens to output something, where can you go to counter it if it isn't accurate? I'm wondering what kind of next generation services are we going to be able to provide? Or, or just how fallible in practice these things are that, you know, there's multiple reports of people who look somewhat similar being able to open, you know, iPhones with a facial unlock feature. BuzzFeed has a weekly thing almost where it's like, hey, twins from different moms, you know, <laughs> and it's, you know, two people from, you know, different parts of the, the world who look very much alike. And, you know, that's it's distressing to me. Well, 
that's why I really like how Facebook, while they've been under a lot of heat lately, I like how they've transformed some, some of that energy into launching a study by offering uh, scholars a petabyte of anonymized user data to understand how misinformation impact elections. And it just really goes back to change and research and humans are slow in that it really would ground us a little bit further that sure technology is really great but because we see so much misinformation mishaps even data breaches that it's in some ways forcing us to slow down and to think about what's going on and why it's happening in the world and to close I'm always coming up with weird theories or ideas and really there I'm just trying to understand why the world is the way it is and I'm wondering we've held over a hundred episodes it feels like I'm wondering if any of the articles we've discussed in other episodes you've seen happen in your own life and how you think about it in relation to your work as an infosec pro i've stopped buying iot devices for my kids i don't know if that's you a, have a, yeah now they just want tablets but uh yeah i'm very against like any sort of electronic dogs that follow my kids around the house I remember we maybe we talked about the Kayla doll or something or some kind of animal and and you were like, you know, it's a way to connect with your kids if you're traveling. I think that's true. But, you know, like my kids have been at a beach house, but down the street because I live in Virginia Beach, they've been at a beach house. So we put an Amazon Alexa there so that they could call me from the Alexa whenever they wanted because they can just say, hey, you know, call office and it calls mine and we have like an instant speaker phone so I can chat with them. That hasn't changed, but I think think there, I have a higher standard for this stuff, maybe. And I, I, I think there is still a consideration to be paid to these things that so you can't throw it all out. Sure. It's fascinating to see how we've evolved over time, too. I was going to say the same thing about IoT devices. I think especially around Amazon Echo, Google Home, the implications of having one of those in your environment. And, uh, you know, I feel like we've talked about that for over a year now, what the implications are and what, uh, what, what the worries people are having. I feel like we only see more and more articles about that as, as time progresses. So anticipate that's going to keep on happening. So do you have any of those devices at home? They can hear me right now, so I probably shouldn't talk too loud about it. They're right there. <laughs> I do. One of the things that we've talked a lot about a lot, and it comes up in various ways, is how technology tends to outpace the law. Um, so that legally, we're always playing catch up in terms of regulations. Technology is developing much faster than, than law can adjust and really be accurate. I mean, by the time a regulation gets passed, it may not be reflective of where we are currently in technology. And uh, I believe that you always talked about this on a previous episode, but the Google duplex demo where you can have your Google assistant place a call for you, book an appointment. I think there's some serious ethical and privacy concerns because there's those calls are being monitored, first of all, because if the computer by if, if fails for some reason, a real live employee, Google employee jumps in to complete the call. That audio is being recorded and processed somewhere uh, to be able to enable this uh this program. And at least in the demo that they presented, there was no notification that the, the human on the other end of the line, the person at the hair salon in their demo, had any indication that they were being recorded or talking to a robot. And they've de very deliberately designed the system to sound like a human. And I think that kind of ties into some of the other things we discussed with like deep fake videos and 
you know, being able to emulate certain vases and voices. If I think if these technologies can converge, we're looking at a pretty scary future where I, I could get a video call, a, a FaceTime call from my mom. It looks like my mom. It sounds like my mom and she needs help, but it is, you know, someone fishing me and I would have maybe no way to uh, to know what was going on. That's kind of the, the maybe taking it down a dark path. But I also think just generally speaking from a public services, something like Google Duplex, there's going to be some ethical and privacy concerns that need to be addressed. And, you know, do we trust someone uh, like a big tech company who's who's selling those features to make money to increase their shareholders value to uh, always take the, the best path? Or are they going to try and push technology and outpace uh, any ethical or legal questions around it? So Mike, when you said that you're worried about someone looking like your mom, sounding like your mom. Not that that it happened to me, but my phone number is a part of my dad's hospital records. And so there must have been a breach somehow because they called and said they had something important about my dad that they needed to tell me. And it sounded so real and natural. But at the same time, because I'm used to speaking to a specific nurse and I go, oh, this is so fake. And if you're not on high alert, you can be easily duped. So it's happening soon. Thanks to Mike Buckby, Chris Kaiser, Mike Thompson, and all our listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed our banter, please subscribe to our show. You can find more episodes of the Inside Out Security Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and more. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about our show. It helps them discover great discussions like we had today. Thanks. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you.